the real key to science fiction and fantasy is, is the world building, right? If it's a world that you want to live in or you want to return to time and time again. And, you know, that's why you have like Star Wars and Star Trek and Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time and all, all these like great, like epic worlds that people just love to like read about or watch or exist in. Um, and, and, you know, I've tried to do that with my Earthman Jack series where like I, I call it the Jackverse. Uh, and it's basically like, as I've written these books, I've had to basically create like an entire universe in which like this story takes place. And it's kind of fun because like I get to create my own planets. I get to give them like a history. I get I get to do like uh, deep dives into like, you know, like, oh, like here's like the first galactic empire and here's how he like came to power and here was his successor. And like, I have like a whole genealogy of, you know, like emperors who, who ruled the galaxy oh. and, and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and it really allows you to kind of like make the world like live and breathe and feel real to like the audience when you have something uh, like that, uh, you know, like Star Wars wouldn't be nearly as popular as it is if, if George Lucas hadn't created that mythology within his, like, you know, his universe. All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the I Didn't Read Your Book podcast. I am your host, Lutch, and today we are going to be talking with Matthew Kaddish. Again, another uh, name I'm going to have to uh, get the correct pronunciation. Uh, but the book we will be talking about today is Earthman Jack versus the Ghost Planet. Um, so first, at first look, um, I am getting like Jimmy Neutron and Fairly Odd Parents vibes. Um, it's I, I would. Uh, it's also a book one of the Earthman Jack space saga. So clearly we are in uh, the realm of uh, fantasy and fiction. Earthman Jack also reminds me of Earthworm Jim. I wonder if that's uh, connected at all. Um, and the ghost planet. So uh, it, it's got a very uh, interesting, the choice to have the character in a silhouette is rather interesting. I would think that you would want the character to have some type of, uh, you know, uh, just presence to 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 um, bring in attraction to that level, to that aspect, the visual aspect. Um, but maybe on the other on the other hand, if it is not, because um, I don't know if this is a comic or a graphic novel, maybe the idea is not to have a set picture of what Earthman Jack looks like, so that. The re as the reader, you can you can um, put your own face to it. Um, yeah, so I mean, it looks it does it looks with the the font and the you know the the body style, it looks like it's aimed at a younger audience. Um, but I'm not really sure. But I mean, it's, it it looks nice. I I like the the style. It's very sleek, and um, the the uh, the silhouette on the backdrop of the uh, picture of the planet, which I'm assuming Earthman, that the uh, planet is Earth. Um, but it, I mean, it is aesthetically pleasing. Um, but uh, yeah, I I would definitely, if it's not for younger people, I would definitely say that that's kind of the vibe that this gives off. Um, so with that, let's dive right in and read the back of the book. Harry Potter meets Star Wars? Jack Finnegan only has to worry about dealing with school bullies, suffering through detention with his homeroom teacher, and getting noticed by the girl of his dreams, at least until an army of evil aliens invade Earth. Suddenly, 
This teenage slacker finds himself at the center of a galaxy-spanning uh, conflict where the lives of everyone on the planet are in jeopardy. Soldiers use quantum physics to become superheroes and the enemies and the enemy uses some mysterious form of magic to make themselves practically unstoppable. The secret to ending the conflict and saving the universe may lie in a powerful ancient spaceship, which it seems can only be flown by Earthmen. Now, Jack and a ragtag group of allies must overcome impossible odds, defeat an unkillable enemy, rescue the princess of the galaxy, and save the universe from a threat more terrifying than it has ever faced. So not too much, right? Uh, can this underachiever rise to the occasion and become the hero Earth needs? The fate of all life in the galaxy may rest in his hands. Wow. That is uh, quite a uh, stakes pretty high. Um, and, you know, plot wise, I talk about MCU stuff all the time. Doesn't sound too much different than, uh, than that kind of stuff. Um, so that does bring the question of who the audience is. Um, it, uh, it, it, I mean, again, pretty straightforward. As far as reading the back of the book, uh, segments have gone. This one seems to give a good idea of what we're getting into. Now, of course, when you're dealing with fantasy and space and stuff, anything can happen. But in terms of, you know, what what kind of things fit in that uh, uh, genre, um, it's it, there's very little like. I'm trying to think of something that wouldn't fit in that genre, but but like even if you Channel, tra uh, travel to another planet and it was like a steampunk planet like that's still in the realm of of uh space travel and 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 stuff so there's so much you can do there uh and it really does kind of you know leave the door open while also setting up you know who uh jack is uh you know and just just some uh what did he say high school student um, yeah, I didn't say specifically, but, uh, Jack Finnegan, um, being a student of sorts and, um, not being, uh, anyone, anyone special, so to speak, but somehow he has, uh, he becomes the only one who can save the world. Uh, so almost, almost mirror, you know, again, mirroring the, the, uh, Captain America type, type, uh, arc. So we'll see how much in common that has, uh, with, with this. Um, and again, um, it, it does seem to be aimed at a younger audience. And if that is the case, then I think what I'm going to be more interested in is, first of all, why, uh, why kids? Uh, and then how, how you get into the mind of the reader that is, you know, obviously much younger um, than, than an adult. Um, but yeah, I, I would say as far as synopses that we've read so far, I would say this is this one is pretty uh, uh, you know pretty straightforward and um, pretty pretty. I mean, I, I don't want to say true to the content because obviously I haven't read the book, uh, but it seems like oh I know what I'm getting when I open this from the synopsis, which where as we've seen many times before is not always the case. So um, without further ado, let's, uh, let's find out and let's bring Matthew right in. 
All right, and welcome, Matthew. Is it uh, Matthew Kaddish or Kaddish? Kaddish? Kaddish. I'm terrible with names. I've always got to ask. Welcome, welcome. Um, so yeah, we were just checking out the uh, the covers of your book, and um, I was saying it was a really cool choice to uh, to have the uh, the character uh, with uh, who I assume is Earthman uh, Earthman Jack um, as a silhouette. Um, and so, not knowing what uh, type of book this is, whether it was um, you know I could see in the in the frame there it, lo- it looks a little thicker than a comic book. Um, I wasn't sure. Just, just a bit. A lot of people say it's a, it's a brick. You can get a workout while reading this thing because it's so, uh, I think it was 250,000 words. Uh, oh, wow. Roughly. Uh, okay. Yeah. And um, I, and as you flip through, I don't see any pictures. So maybe that goes to uh, one of my theories um, is that, you know, you would assume that having a, a, an aesthetically pleasing character would be something that you would want on the cover to pull people in. But then I was thinking maybe, your thinking was by having it a silhouette, the reader can make their own picture of uh, who Earthman Jack is. Is that anywhere in the realm of what you're doing or not even close? <laughs> that was definitely a consideration. So like I actually had a few alternate covers um, made up for the book. And one of them was kind of like a Star Wars-y type uh, image because uh, for people who don't know, the book is science fantasy. I like to tell people it's kind of like Harry Potter meets Star Wars. So like it's, it's in that vein. And uh, so like I had a book with like all the floating heads of the different characters. And I had a very talented comic book artist illustrate it for me. And uh, I, um, I created the cover that is on the current uh, version of the book, which is the, the main character who's silhouetted with uh, the planet Earth in the background and the Earth looks like an, an atom Adam, yeah. uh, because quantum physics kind of plays a role in, in, the, in the story. And, uh, you know, I, I was convinced that my, my cover was the least interesting one. And then uh, I put it out to my fans uh, out there who, uh, and my publicist and my family and all this other stuff. And I asked them like, which ones do you, which cover do you like best? And that's the one I'll go with. And to my surprise, it was the one that's currently on the book, the one I, de- nice. I designed. And I think it, it was kind of like how you mentioned where um, the character of Jack, uh, because he's silhouetted, uh, you can kind of read into it what he looks like yourself. And it's also kind of a striking cover. It, it communicates that it's a science fiction book like right off the bat. And it's also meant for like young adults and stuff like that. So like, I just feel like it, it worked and uh, I've had a lot of good compliments on it. Yeah, I definitely, um, you know, cause that, that's also, you know, that was one of my questions as well. Um, I, I was saying uh, my, my first thoughts when I saw it, I thought Jimmy Neutron and Fairly Odd Parents, that yeah. just uh, aesthetically. And so, um, you know, the, the, the body style seems like it was a uh, younger person. Um, and then reading that, you know, he is of school age, I, I'm guessing uh, high school. Yeah, 15. 15, yeah. So, um, and, and so I was wondering what, you know, what the target audience uh, for this was. So this is a young adult uh, uh, fantasy novel. Yeah, pretty much a young adult science fantasy. Um, you know, you, you mentioned before that you didn't see any pictures in here. I actually have a special edition that does have pictures in it uh, because I love, like when I was growing up, I used to love the Hardy Boys. Mm. And uh, in those original Hardy Boys books, you'd be flipping through it and you'd just see like this full page illustration, like out of nowhere. And I, I felt like it really added something to the story. And so I got a very talented comic book artist by the name of uh, Kim Jacinto, who does uh, like Deadpool and Thunderbolts and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. 
to do five full page illustrations for the special edition version of this book. And uh, they're, they're really cool. Like he really brought kind of like what I had written to life and uh, I'm very proud of those things. Um, but uh, yeah, the audience, so like when I originally wrote this, so the, the book was released in 2012 and it was the first novel I'd ever written. It took me five years to write it. And uh, I, I kind of started writing it um, just as a uh, New Year's resolution because uh, I was at home for Christmas and I was bored and I was like, you know what? Um, I'm a frustrated screenwriter. I'd been working in Hollywood and uh, none of my screenplays were getting produced. And I was kind of tired of writing stuff that no one was ever going to see. And so one day I, I was like, you know what? I'm going to write a novel. And so I was at home for uh, visiting family for Christmas. And uh, I just made this decision. I was like, I'm going to write a novel. I don't care how long it takes. I want to see if I can do it because screenplays are pretty easy. It's like double spaced, 120 pages, give or take. Um, and, uh, you know, you don't have any like super descriptive text in screenplays. It's mostly dialogue. Uh, so I looked at it as a personal challenge and I started writing this thing. And Harry Potter was like a big influence on me uh, when I was writing this. And so I just assumed like, oh, the, the Harry Potter crowd is going to be the audience uh, for this thing. And turns out that, you know, as I got more into uh, being a professional author, I discovered that the young adult crowd is actually like middle-aged women. It's yeah. not like, it's not actual <laughs> young adults. Uh, so like you're writing for, for older women as opposed to like younger mm. kids. Um, and, you know, my writing style, it's kind of like, uh, it's a little bit more masculine. It, it's, it's more kind of jokey and uh, uh, tr trying, you know, coming from a male point of view or with the male characters. Uh, but oddly enough, like everyone who uh, has read the book it's really liked it. Like I spent a couple of years doing the festival circuit where I would go to like Star Trek conventions and comic book conventions and stuff like that, selling book and reaching out to people there. And, and pretty much like no matter what demographic you're in, they, they seem to enjoy the book. So I can't really tell you uh, who the audience is for it because it, it ranges from science fiction fans to young adult fans to fantasy fans. Like everyone just really likes it. Oh, and I, 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 I guess that's, you know, part of the, the, um, the sci-fi fantasy space, all that stuff, because it opens the door to so many things. Uh, the suspension of disbelief, you know, is, uh, you know, you can go so much further and do so many other things. Whereas if you were doing like, you know, something set in uh, uh, LA gangland or something, then you, there's, you, you're limited as to what can happen in that, in that setting. Um, and, uh, so, uh, how, how have you used that, uh, that depth of, of, uh, possibility to, to tell your story and, and, you know, have it be different from, you know, just a, a typical space traveling, uh, you know, galactic, uh, uh, galactic threat kind of story. Well, one of the great things about um, science fiction, or in this case, space opera, is, is that you're only limited by the boundary of your imagination. And there's so much stuff that you, you can do. In fact, there, there are ideas I have where I'm like, maybe that's going a little bit too far and I have to pull it back. Um, but uh, so the Earthman Jack saga, it, it's a multi-book saga. It's not finished yet. I'm, I've still got like four or five more books in the, uh, wow. in the series to write. Um, but uh, the idea behind it is that it's it's like a classic space opera. And what I mean by that, it's not people singing. Uh, a space opera is basically like an epic tale that spans a large amount of time, a large amount of distance. It, it, it's pretty much if you think like epic fantasy, that's what space opera is. That's the equivalent of space opera in fantasy. Um, like Game of Thrones in space? 
Exactly. Or Lord of the Rings in space or something okay. like that. Uh, it, it, it's essentially like a much longer story. And, you know, I, I come from a filmmaking background and I, I worked in Hollywood for a while and I wrote like a bunch of screenplays. I was a Nichols screenplay finalist uh, back in 2001, uh, made a movie with Jeremy Renner, who plays Hawkeye in the Avengers uh, back in 2004. I was in the Cannes Film Festival with that movie and, uh, you know, like really got into like the Hollywood storytelling stuff. And I'd always love telling stories. And so I went to film school, I, I, you know, took English classes, writing classes, and I really studied uh, what makes stories good, you know, like I'm a, I'm a student of the craft, I guess you could say. And when I sat down to write a novel, because, you know, I made that New Year's resolution, I was like, okay, what should I write? And, um, you know, like, I like reading mysteries, maybe I'll write a mystery, or like whatever. And I went through my old college notebooks where I would, I would keep notebooks where I'd scribble down ideas. And it turns out that I had like written an actual like chapter for this book and um, had kind of like notes on it. Uh, uh, and I kind of forgotten about it, but like I rediscovered it. And I sat down and I was like, you know what, there's something here. And basically it's about a boy who finds a magic spaceship and gets into adventures. And I sat down and, and I kind of took my initial notes that I had written when I was in college, when I was in film school, and expanded upon them and, and created like an overarching uh, outline where it's like, okay, here's where he starts and here's where he ends. And it's going to cover seven books. Um, again, the Harry Potter influence, seven and done. <laughs> um, and so I decided, okay, I'm going to write the first book. And if people like it, maybe I'll write these other ones. Because I still wasn't convinced that I, I had the capability or the, the know-how to write an actual novel. And uh, so I, I wrote this in my spare time. It's why it took me five years um, where I was you know, living and working in Hollywood. And I was like out there hustling, trying to get movies made and uh, running my own businesses and stuff like that. And so just on every you know, occasional like downtime, I, I would bust out a chapter or bust out a scene or something like that. And uh, eventually, like, I got it done. And I, I put it out there. And I was like, nobody's gonna read this book. Like, it's just, it's, it's a passion project. And uh, I put it up on Amazon, uh, back in the early days of the self publishing revolution. And it premiered uh, on, um, on July 4th, weekend of July 4th, back in 2012. And it was like number one on the science fiction charts, like it oh, just like, yeah, like, like, I guess people were looking for a summer read on Kindle or something like that. And this was before like Amazon had really like optimized its, its site for, you know, eBooks and stuff. Right. And so like, I just released it at the right time and it got tons of downloads and uh, lots of reviews, good reviews, and people were just really liking it. And I was like, Hey, you know, I guess that means I should write the sequel. And the sequel took two months to write as opposed to, Oh, okay. Uh, because I just, I focused on writing and uh, the sequel was a lot of fun. And uh, then I wrote the third book, which was so big, I had to divide it up into three different books. And, uh, you know, a lot of people give George R. R. Martin uh, a lot of heat for taking so long to write a book. And now that I'm three books into like a planned seven book saga, uh, that's just as complicated with tons of characters and lots of moving parts and politicking and and crazy adventure and stuff like that. I'm like, I understand where he's coming from. Like this, this <laughs> stuff gets complicated. It gets hard because uh, there is time travel involved in the series at a certain point. And so like, I'm finding myself, I'm having to outline uh, two books uh, ahead of, of where I'm currently at. Yeah. So I'm actually trying to 
figure out what I'm going to say in a book that um, hasn't had anything written before it. Uh, it gets super complicated and it's taken me like a long time. In fact, my outline for the next book in the series is like 97 manuscript pages, uh, which is almost as long as like most people's regular books. And, it, and that's just like all my outline for like, because I'm a big outliner, I like to kind of plot stuff out and figure out what I'm going to write before I start writing it. And, and there is like a structure to the series. There's like a master plan for it. So a lot of people just kind of like to make it up as they go along. And my background is like, I can't do that. I need to plan <laughs> stuff out. Hey, whatever works. Yeah. Yeah, I uh, I've refused to because I'm a huge Game of Thrones fan of the show, but I, uh, you know, uh, I've told the story a million times about how, uh, you know, when I was a kid, I used to love reading. And uh, that was um, that was my my favorite pastime. Uh, and then school happened and they started saying, you've got to do this. You got to do this. And I was like, no, I don't want to. Um, <clears throat> and then by the time, you know, I graduated college podcasts and YouTube and all the uh, audiobooks and all that stuff. And I just never regained a love uh, for reading. Um, but I'd always had, had a love uh, for uh, learning. And so, I, you know, I'd be watching uh, different YouTube channels or listening to podcasts and everybody's like, oh, I got this book. I got that book. Like, well, I didn't read your book. And that's how we got here. Um, so, but I'm a huge Game of Thrones, uh, Game of Thrones fan, but I refuse, I refuse to start reading the books until I know that, there is an ending. See, I'm a long-suffering Game of Thrones fan because I discovered the books back in uh, 19 or 2000 and year 2000 or 98, one of those two years. And uh, I can remember I got my wisdom teeth taken out and I was like, I need something to occupy my time while I recover. And so I went on Amazon. I, I looked like, what's like the biggest, uh, you know, thickest fan, uh, book I can find? And his books came up, uh, the, the Game of Thrones at the time, there were only three books out. And so like, I read the first one, absolutely freaking loved it. Uh, I went insane over it. I, I bought the next two, tore through those. And there's a huge cliffhanger at the end of Storm of Swords, which is the third book. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I have to wait for this. And at the time he had started writing Feast of Crows and he's like, yeah, it'll be out in two years. And then two years turned into three years. And I kept following his blog. Like, like every week I'd check in on his blog. He's like, I wonder if George has finished the book. Five years later, uh, Feast for Crows comes out. It's only half a book. It's yep. only half the characters that you know, <laughs> he had set up. And, and I remember being so disappointed that I had waited so long to read this. I was so excited for it. And then six years after that book came out was Dance with Dragons. And I was super excited for that book. And I loved it. But I was like, okay, like Winds of Winter, that'll be another five years. And here we are like 10, 11 years later. Winds of Winter still yeah, hasn't come out. it's been that long, right? Yeah, it, it's, I've been a long suffering book fan, but George R.R. R. Martin, I, I, I love his style of writing and he's probably been the most influential author on me. Like the Game of Thrones books are the only books I've ever actually reread multiple times. Um, every other book, like I'll usually read it once and be like, oh, okay, that was cool. Mm -hmm. um, and honestly, like, uh, it's kind of funny because in the author community, uh, like none of us read, like, like we read our own <laughs> stuff, like as we're, as we're writing, but right. like, we, we just don't have time to read other people's yeah. stuff. Um, and, and that's why, like, uh, you know, when I heard about your podcast, I, I was like, that's a brilliant idea for a podcast. It's <laughs> like, nobody ever freaking reads anything, uh, anymore. Um, but uh, there are people out there who love to read and they, they're just voracious readers. My fiance is one of those. Uh, she just, she tears through books left and right. Um, but uh, for someone like me, I'm, I'm like, yeah, like I don't have time to read. I'm too busy writing my own stuff. 
Exactly. You'd be a perfect, uh, perfect uh, member of the uh, iDrive community. So I uh, <laughs> hope to see you in the comments for the uh, the next episode. But yeah, I, I refuse to be, uh, I refuse to uh, subject myself to that. And I do think that like people have told me, like I've, I've talked about that, the, the, you know, the process of losing my love for uh, reading um, in relation to Game of Thrones, because I, uh, you know, the whole fantasy, and again, sorry to the viewers, but uh, I guess because I've, I've talked about this a million times uh, as well, but the whole like fantasy sci-fi thing, I was so averse to that uh, for a long time. And I think I, when I, when I was younger, I had this idea of sci-fi being very uh, out there. And there's a different type of sci-fi that is like in the vein of like a black mirror. That's a more recent type of thing that to me is because it, the where technology is going is a little bit more clear. There is less fantasy that needs to be involved in those type of stories. So I was, in, I, I was into that kind of stuff, but still like the, you know, the, the, the fantasy element type stuff. Um, I just wasn't into, and uh, same thing with like the the, uh, uh, the MCU. I was just like comic book uh, superhero movies. Like it's okay, the superhero magic powers. There's a there's a villain coming in. They save the day. What what else do you need? And uh, you know, so I was never watching any of these movies. And I was like, they're coming out with another Iron Man. Like what else can Iron Man do? And I, it was like right around the well, the first thing that got me uh, to open my eyes a little bit more was uh, the early days of The Walking Dead. And same kind of thing, my, my, I was uh, in college at the time and uh, my friends were super into it. And I was just like, zombies, like same kind of thing. And they're like, no, 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 dude, trust me. And then I got really into that for a while until I fell off and that's a whole lot. Did you ever read the comic book? I did not. <laughs> I don't read See, see, see I, I was a big comic book fan before the show came out. And so, like, I, I kind of went into the show knowing, like, at least what the first couple of seasons were going to be. Uh, that, that's one of the, the drawbacks of being a, a book reader, you know, or, or a source material reader. Uh, you know, you talk about how many Iron Mans can they make. It's like, well, you got 50 years of comic books that came out every week to, to draw from. So, like, you know, there's tons of source material out there. Um, but yeah, like uh, with the Game of Thrones stuff, like, uh, you know, Edward, Edward Stark dying in the first season and, you know, the Red Wedding. Like, I knew all that stuff was coming yeah, that, uh because i was a book reader so like i didn't get that experience of like of having it happen but i had that experience when reading the books um and it was actually like the the scenes were far more brutal and like way more surprising in the books than they were in the show and uh you know like that's one of the drawbacks of of reading the books and so now i try to watch the adaptation the movie or the tv show before i read some of this right. stuff um just because like i want to be i, I want to be surprised by what i'm watching yeah. And even, you know, everyone's like, oh, the book's always better. Well, then why would you read the book first? Like, enjoy both, you know, get <laughs> yeah. exposed to the movie and like, oh, OK, that was cool. Yeah, watch watch the crappier it. thing first and exactly. then go, go to the good stuff. Yeah, exactly. I actually yeah, did I that with, with The Expanse. I watched The Expanse and then I went and read the book that the first season was based off of. And uh, it's, it's kind of weird because like you keep thinking like, OK, the scene that I saw in the TV show is playing out in, in the book right now. And I don't know if it's any better than it was in the TV show. Like the expense is, act, is actually pretty uh, faithful to the book. Was that um, the, that the Amazon of. prime show that they canceled? Cause it was like too realistic about like them faking a vaccine or something. Uh, I don't know. Like the, uh, 
the, it was originally a sci a sci-fi syfy uh original series uh -huh. that amazon okay. eventually bought after sci-fi canceled it okay, and, 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 and they're on like season six it all happens in outer space and, and stuff oh like yeah that. i'm thinking something different <laughs> yeah you, yeah you, you might be thinking of something different but uh that was one of those weird situations where i felt like the book was about where like the show was actually better than the book um Good. so and and i only read the first book i didn't continue on with the series because I felt like the TV show was better. So I'm just going to stick with the TV show. <laughs> well, I'm glad to hear that, that there is from a, 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 a book reader and, a, and an author uh, and that, uh, you know, there's, there's stuff coming out there. You know, my, my, a lot of what may just be rationalization, but uh, I, the fact that there is a lot of uh, stuff on TV in movies that I think has real literary value as much as anything from, you know, some of the, uh, the classics. I mean, if you're talking about, I mean, obviously Game of Thrones comes from, from uh, uh, a book, but, you know, uh, like Breaking Bad and, and the Better Call Saul universe, I, I mean, there's... Yeah, I, I'd say that there are like two, two TV shows, possibly three, that are on par with like great literature. The first was Breaking Bad. I'm not a big fan of Better Call Saul, but I think Breaking oh, Bad was, was was one of the best TV shows ever made. The second, uh, and possibly the best one, is The Wire, um, an old HBO cops and robbers show. Um, that show is just literary genius. It's it's like if you watch all five seasons back to back, it's it's so perfectly told. Uh, all the characters are so rich and deep. It is like watching a novel play out on screen, which is crazy. And it, it was made. It was produced by a former. Um, crime journalist um, David Simon, so um, that that show is about as close to perfection as I, I can think of when it comes to like TV shows. And I'm sure like there are a couple others out there that um, I can't really think of right now, but they're very few and far in between. Like for instance, Definitely. the Game of the Game of Thrones show. I hated that show from the get go. I thought that <laughs> they they butchered the adaptation of the book. And all the best stuff was stuff that they lifted directly from the book and all the stuff that they did on their own was the worst stuff ever. And then you get to season eight where it of basically, course. yeah, it basically didn't stick to the landing. So that show is incredibly flawed and, it, and those are my favorite books of all time. And so like, I was very pissed off every time I'd watch it. And when they finally got to the point where like they outpaced the books, right. I was like, oh, thank God I can stop being angry. But then like their stuff was so bad. I just got angrier <laughs> and angrier um, watching it. Yeah. And so, uh, I mean, spoiler alert, but uh, for years ago, but I'm uh, the the uh, the last book ends with um, Jon Snow dying. Right. Yep. So, I, I mean, I assume we can assume that in Winds of Winter, he's going to uh, come back alive. But well, the you know, what was interesting about that is, is that in the book. So it pretty much plays out exactly like it did in the show where his sworn brothers uh, all like betray him and, and stab him to death. Um, but uh, the, the, his direwolf ghost has a much bigger role in the book. Mm -hmm. And it, it's assumed that he, uh, you know, because he has, he's a Stark and he has kind of Brandon's warding power in the books, that he warged his spirit into his wolf uh, ghost. And the way that he's being brought back, it's, mm -hmm. it's not with the, the uh, like the Red Woman's kiss is going to, you know, reanimate him. But because his soul is still like in his wolf, he can, you know, reassume his body and, 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 and stuff like that. And so like the, I have it on good authority because I know people who know George R.R. R. Martin okay. that, that, you know, you know, like George had all this stuff planned and he, and he kind of shared it with the, uh, you know, the guys who produced the Game of Thrones show. 
and they would pick and choose what they wanted to put in the show and and eventually they just went off in their own direction it caused like a big schism yeah I, 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 he wanted to do like 10 13 uh 10 to 13 seasons uh, and like really play it out and i mean again from not having read the books uh i thought the first i even you know season 7 was i thought i i i, I thought it was great and i think i've re i, I watched it and then i re, i watched it before the first time before season eight came out, came out. So I was able to get all of uh, season one through seven in one chunk. Uh, and then, you know, I watched season eight live and we all know how that went, but um, watching it all uh, together like that, I, I was, I was on board. Um, season seven definitely started to fade, but I was still into it. Um, but it's very, it was very clear how the, the, you know, once, uh, uh, the, the, the two guys, I don't even remember their names anymore. I, I've called them dumb and dumber for so long that I don't even know. Dave and Dan and Dave. There you go. And the often Weiss. Yep. Dumb and dumber. Uh, but yeah, they just, it's, it's so clear how they just trampled all over it. And it's like, you know, what's funny is they convinced George to give them the rights to, to make the show based off of their love of the material, but they were just completely BSing him. They had no respect for the source material at all, which really upset me. But, you know, like when it comes to George R.R. Martin's influence on me as a writer, um, you know, like I loved how like he would write these like very descriptive passages about like, you know, uh, what people are wearing, what they're eating. Like some people said it was like too much description, but to me, it really brought the world to life. And so like, I try to do a version of that in my own writing where like I'm, I, I do very descriptive stuff. Um, and, uh, but like when, when action happens, it, it's meant to be read quicker. Like, so like I use less words on the page. So like, as your eyes going down, it's speeding up and, and it feels like more visceral. And uh, the great thing about writing like science fantasy, as opposed to like epic fantasy or something like that is, is like, you can really do anything you want. Like in, the, in this book, I have zombies because, you know, who doesn't like zombies? Uh, I, I've got a magic system that's actually based off of quantum physics and quantum physics is such a, you know, like, like it, it's an actual science, but like right. there's so much that we don't know when it comes to quantum physics that you can kind of play around with it. Right. So like, so like my version of the Jedi in this book who are called the uh, uh, Paragons, uh, they basically use quantum physics to manifest stuff in our reality. And uh, that's the magic system. And so, so like, there's all types of stuff. And basically my love of eighties movies, like, like grown up as an eighties kids and, and stuff like that. I put a lot of references to movies and TV shows that have influenced me and, and the story into the, into the books. Um, so like there are these little Easter eggs there that readers uh, contact me about. It's like, Hey, when you did this, were you referencing this movie? I was like, yeah, yeah. So like, there's <laughs> lots of, it's almost like an Easter egg hunt uh, when you read this book. Um, so, uh, and fans really seem to like that. So like I layer in stuff, like like there's a character in the series that's a secret agent. Uh, he's a member of like the, the, this universe's version of the CIA basically. And I modeled him after James Bond. And in every book he has a line that's a, a title for a James Bond movie. And, and so I, like people are, are trying to figure that out. Uh, there was one, one line I wrote uh, where a character said, uh, you know, you couldn't see uh, DeForest for the Kelly, you know, instead of the forest for the trees, it's DeForest mm-hmm. for the Kelly. And of course, uh, DeForest Kelly was Bones on uh, the original Star Trek. And, oh, yeah. uh, and so like uh, I had some Star Trek, hardcore Star Trek fans that caught that, that little line 
and, nice. and they just they just loved it. They were they, they would email me like, did you just shout out to Forrest Kelly in, in your book? And I was like, yeah, you caught that. <laughs> yeah, people love that. So that's some of my favorite parts of like the the uh, the Disney Plus uh, Marvel series is like uh, I don't know if you know the, uh, the the YouTube channel New Rockstars, but they are great at their Easter egg videos. And like, dude, will just sit there frame by frame and go by. And I, I tend, I and, tend to think those guys uh, make up some of that stuff too. Like, like it's like, yeah, like even that wasn't do. really an Easter egg, but like you're saying it is. But hey, yeah, even I, if it is, I, I get it. I, it never occurred to me, and I'm, I'm all about it. And it's like, and but you're right. It's like, yeah, he was wearing this and that, and in the back, and the yeah, and, and, and that just makes the story so much more interactive. Like whether you're watching it on TV or you're reading it in a book, yeah. if 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 you're a big enough fan where you catch those things, and and the people making the content uh you, you know are thoughtful enough to like layer them in there it can be a it can be a, like a real experience and it really kind of connects you more to the material i found yeah, and I, I found that you know when there are places that there are people discussing the content you know it it's it, it whenever i find a, a good show or a good movie uh the first thing i do when i'm done is go to uh youtube and search like breakdown or analysis and just, you know, cause I want to, I want to find out more about it. And when there's, uh, uh, when there's nothing there, it's just like, ah, all right, well, I mean, it was a good show, but I'm sure there's more to it that I just, I didn't, I was caught up in the narrative and I didn't catch. And, uh, uh, you know, sometimes it's not always that good that I'm going to rewatch it. And it's just like, oh, well, that's it. And so like, especially for Game of Thrones, not being a book reader, uh, there's this channel, uh, All Shift X, where they they do an amazing job of breaking things down, and they do these infographics and and, and stuff. And I don't know how any non-book reader follows that show without breakdown videos. I have no clue. Um, but it's uh, yeah, it just adds it adds another layer to to what is actually going on that people can not only you know it's not only the story that people are into, but it's the the other elements that that tie in other things that they like that are now tied to your content. Well, also the, the, the real key to science fiction and fantasy is, is the world building, right? If it's a world that you want to live in or you want to return to time and time again. And, you know, that's why you have like Star Wars and Star Trek and Lord of the Rings and Wheel of Time and all, all these like great, like epic worlds that people just love to like read about or watch or exist in. Um, and, and, you know, I've tried to do that with my Earthman Jack series where like, I, I, I call it the Jack verse. Uh, and it's basically like, as I've written these books, I've had to basically create like an entire universe in which like the, this, you know, uh, story takes place. And it's kind of fun. Cause like, I get to create my own planets. I get to give them like a history. I get, I get to do like, uh, deep dives into like, you know, like, oh, like here's like the first galactic empire and here's how he like came to power and here was his successor. And like, I have like a whole genealogy of, you know, like emperors who, who ruled the galaxy oh. and, and stuff like that. <laughs> and, and, and it really allows you to kind of like make the world like live and breathe and feel real to like the audience when you have something uh, like that, uh, you know, like Star Wars wouldn't be nearly as popular as it is if if George Lucas hadn't created that mythology within his like you know his universe same thing with Star Trek um pretty much any like Stargate uh, it's kind of funny because I, I like to say like I took every movie with star in the title and mushed it all together in a ball and said what would this be like if it was directed by Steven Spielberg and, and that's my book Earthman Jack versus the Ghost Planet that that I, I wanted like to you yeah I wanted to feel like you're reading an 80s movie like like a classic sci-fi 80s movie that like 
you know, was hopeful and funny and, and adventurous and, 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 you know, like they don't make those types of movies anymore, unfortunately. But if you're like a fan of like the eighties, like the last starfighter, you know, uh, um, explorers, the, uh, the, uh, oh, uh, I'm, I'm blanking on, on the name of the, the flight of the navigator. That's the one I was thinking of mm-hmm. all, all that stuff. Like, you know, uh, have it directed by Steven Spielberg. And, and that's this book, you know, and, and it, cool. this book is pretty much my love letter to all the sci-fi and fantasy that I grew up on. So sorry to interrupt your podcast experience. I just want to remind you, if you're enjoying what you're watching, please hit the like button and subscribe for more content. And if you really love it, there's some support links in the description. I would love if you could help out the channel and back to the show. And uh, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun to share it with people, especially when like they they get the jokes that I put in there. You know, like I say joke, but I mean like references and stuff like yeah. that. And uh, yeah, I, uh, if, if you look at some of the reviews I have on Amazon, like people like the, write these really fantastic long form reviews, just talking about like, you know, all the stuff that I've layered into it. And uh, it, it's very fulfilling when people uh, get my, uh, you know, get my references. Yeah, I can only imagine. Um, so getting back to uh, the, the, uh, the book and the plot itself. Um, so how does this 15 year old end up being the one who has the whole galaxy's fate in his hands. If they're not some type of adult around. <laughs> so there, there is an adult around. Um, and I kind of play with the, the, the chosen one um, theme where, uh, you know, you think that Jack by all accounts would be like the chosen one, but like, he's actually just like incredibly lucky, you know? Um, and I even start off the book by saying like, he's not the smartest um, hero ever. He's not the, the, the strongest. Uh, he's probably the luckiest. Um, and, and that's why like, he survived some of the things that he did. Um, but the, the idea of a 15 year old being like the, the main hero of the book uh, is always something that you kind of have to treat with care because you don't want to go full goonies with it where like the kids are just like acting outside of like their abilities and talents of most kids their age. And so like he's teamed up with a, a small group of people who are way more capable than he is. And he's kind of like bumbling around and, and, and trying to figure things out as the adventure goes along. But the real thing is that he has this super advanced spaceship that only people from earth are capable of flying because like uh, the, the ship basically can sense if you're an earth man or not. And it only responds to earthlings. And it just so happens he's the only earth man in this group. And so like they need him in order to operate this, this highly advanced spaceship to try to save the galaxy. And so he's thrust into a situation where, where he's got to kind of grow up really quick and, and not be his usual slacker, like misbehaving self and actually like step into the, the shoes of a hero. And uh, you use this super advanced piece of technology, which is like the most advanced thing that anyone in the universe has ever seen to fight this existential threat that's threatening all of the galaxy. And um, then that's kind of like how uh, I set it up so that, you know, he's not just kind of lucking into things. He's not just kind of like doing stuff that would be, be beyond your typical 15 year old male from Ohio's capability. Um, and, uh, you know, he messes up along the way. Like he, th- there's a scene where the aliens are invading his hometown and he gets his hands on his first laser gun. And, and he's a, he's a big Xbox player. So like, like, you know, he plays call of duty and, he, and he's like, he's like prepared to get owned jerkwad. And, and he like fires at the alien and it just completely misses him. Like, like he has like no actual aim <laughs> outside of video games. 
And, uh, and, you know, he almost gets killed a couple of times and he gets freaked out and he gets scared and all this other stuff. And so like, he's very much in the first book, at least like, he's very much a typical like teenage kid. And as the, you know, story goes along in, in subsequent books, um, he gets some training and he gets some mentors and he learns how to kind of like, you know, uh, become a hero. And uh, by the time, like, you know, the whole series is over, it's basically the, the tale of the universe's greatest hero from his humble beginnings as like a, as a bratty 15 year old kid on, on earth to being like the savior of the galaxy. And you get to see his development over the course of the series. And this first book, uh, you, you get to see him at his most uh, kind of like clueless. <laughs> so it's a lot of fun. And I can imagine with, with, you know, six, seven books of that size, you really get into the, the, not only the character, but uh, as you said, the, the world building and, and, not even, you know, not even the, the, the fact that you are, you know, the fact that it's in space, it's not one world that you're building. It's a whole, it's a whole universe and, uh, or a Jackverse and, uh, it's complicated. (laughs) Yeah. So I can definitely, I can definitely see how that, uh, that gets, uh, uh, convoluted and writing, writing two books ahead. Yeah. And the hardest part is just remembering all the stuff that you came (laughs) up with in the previous books. Like I have a, I have kind of like a Wikipedia type thing just for, you know, this book series and it's, I think it's already at like 200 pages um, in terms of like length. So like, like there's just so much there where it's like, uh, as I'm writing, I'm like, what did I say this race, uh, race's home planet was? Uh, I gotta go, <laughs> gotta go like type this in and, and see what I, what I said it at. So like, you know, the bigger the world that you're building, the more complicated it gets. I, I kind of envy the epic fantasy guys because they just have like one planet they have to keep track of. I have like, <laughs> I have like 12 different planets I've introduced and I've got like thousands more. And it, it's, it's really crazy. Interesting. And uh, so, you know, you mentioned a lot about your influences in terms of, um, you know, the books that you, the, the, the kind of books that you've read and stuff, but I'm interested, I'm very interested in what kind, like, what kind of work were you doing uh, in Hollywood and, and how um, having that perspective uh, colored the way that you, you would approach writing a novel? Well, when I was a teenager, I decided that I wanted to be a director in Hollywood. Um, originally, like I went and saw Terminator 2 and that the special effects in that movie made me want to be a special effects artist. And so like I decided, OK, I'm going to I'm going to study to be a special effects artist. And I went to the local library and I checked out uh, a book uh, on industrial light and magic and all this other stuff. A uh, lot, lot of like horror movie, like like prosthetic, you know, uh, effects books, like how, how to make like, you know, vampire teeth and stuff like that. And I love mo- Halloween. Yeah. And the, the more <laughs> I learned about the special effects industry, the more I learned that like uh, the director of the movie is the one who would come and tell them what to do. And then they would go and, and make it. And I was like, well, I want to be the guy who comes up with the idea and has these guys bring it to life. And so I got really into directing. And as I began learning about what the director does and like, you know, uh, his influence, uh, I realized that, you know, writing was a big factor in that because like some directors, they, they direct a movie based off of a script that someone else wrote, but the ones that the, the filmmakers I loved and that I really respected were always the ones who wrote the stuff and, that and directed. directed. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And so I started like really diving into like, 
studying literature, studying story structures, studying screenplay writing, like all this stuff. And I eventually went to film school and, you know, had my screenplay classes. I, I took a couple of seminars in screenwriting and screenwriting is all about structure. Um, it, it's almost, it, it's very kind of templated, I, I guess, like you, you could say, uh, because it's like, okay, here's the structure you got to follow. Here are the beats you got to hit. Um, as long as you do that stuff, you can play around with stuff in between, but, but this is like the roadmap you have to follow. And so it was very kind of organized. And I came from that background after I graduated from film school and I went to a master's program in, uh, at the LA Film School. Uh, where after I had written a screenplay that had um, gotten like a semi-finalist in uh, the Nichols Fellowship screenplay uh, uh, contest, I got invited to the school and uh, I, I created this, uh, this script that uh, I, I took the script that won the, or, you know, got, got finished high in, in the Nichols um, uh, contest and developed it at the school and eventually made a short film based off of this longer script with Jeremy Renner, who he was kind of unknown at the time, but like he had just done Dahmer. He'd gotten an independent spirit award for that. And uh, so like I cast him in my movie and like we made this like 15 minute calling card piece, which was designed to get people interested in this feature script and uh, took it to the Cannes Film Festival and got all this interest from producers and, you know, big wigs and stuff like that who wanted to uh, develop it. And, um, like through that process, like I was taking meetings and I was writing screenplays and, you know, I was basically doing the stuff that I loved, which was storytelling. Uh, and so I was trying to get my directing career off the ground. It was very hard because I was an unknown director, even though I had directed this 15 minute short film, nobody knew who Jeremy Renner was because this was pre uh, Hurt Locker, uh, you know, yeah. Uh, well, pre -Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oscar nominated actor. Right. Um, I think I, I think like, you know, other than Dahmer, he had done like a couple Budweiser commercials or something like that at, the, at that time. But um, so we, you know, we were shopping this movie around trying to get people to let me direct it and let Jeremy star in it. And, you know, we were like, just give us three million dollars. Like, that's all we need to make this this movie. And uh, we had a couple of, you know, situations where we almost got the money to do it and then it would like fall through and then we'd almost get it and it would fall through. And the entire time I'm still writing, you know, I'm writing screenplays, I'm doing all this stuff. And eventually I started a, a marketing company um, so that I could like quit my day job and make some money uh, while I was writing. And that marketing company that I started ended up doing really well. And it was doing so well that I was like, why am I busting my ass in Hollywood, begging people to give me money when I'm making really good money doing this stuff, which is just as creative and fulfilling. And so like I kind of shifted gears and I moved away from like the Hollywood stuff uh, to actually have like a steady job, steady paycheck. And that's when I started writing the, the book is because like I would have free time while, while doing that. And I wanted something that could fulfill me creatively, which was the writing. Because when you write a novel, you don't need a cast, you don't need a crew, you don't need craft services, you don't need equipment. You know, <laughs> like you just need like a computer to write it on. And barring that, you need like a little like notepad. Uh, and your imagination. And that's the beauty of writing novels is like, you don't have to worry about budgets. You don't have to worry about, you know, anything. It, it, it's all you. Like, I can't tell you how many times I was working on a screenplay for a producer. And I would go and meet with the producer to go over the pages and they would be throwing out the, the dumbest freaking ideas you could ever possibly hope to imagine. They're, they're like, yeah, put that in the screenplay, like, like do that. <laughs> and, and it's just like, ah, oh, I hate this writing by committee. Like, you know, like just let me do, do my thing. Uh, Cause I think I'm a pretty good writer. 
And uh, so like the frustration with Hollywood, you know, I have all these unproduced screenplays and uh, you know, now I'm at the phase where I'm like taking some of the screenplays I wrote like way back when and kind of adapting them into novels. Um, but uh, yeah, so like the, the whole Hollywood thing ended up, um, I think uh, around the time that the housing crisis hit in 2008, 2009 time period, uh, you know, uh, I closed down my, my marketing business and I was kind of living in LA and I was kind of like bitter and depressed. And I was just like, you know, the economy sucks and my business folded and, uh, you know, uh, I don't like working in Hollywood and all this other stuff. And so I decided, you know what, I'm going to focus on finishing my novel and maybe, you know, being a novelist. And so I moved from LA to Las Vegas to kind of get out of town. I got a house super cheap, which I'm living in right now because it was at the bottom of the market. And basically now that like I didn't have rent to pay and all this other stuff, I could just focus on writing and I got my book done. I published it and I was convinced no one was going to read it as I told you earlier. And then uh, it was like, you know, such a big hit, like right off the bat. And I was getting emails from people like congratulating me on being at the top of the charts and saying like, when's the next one going to be out and all this other stuff. And I was like, you know what, maybe I can make a career out of this. And it's been, uh, it's been more fulfilling than anything I, I did in Hollywood. Uh, I'll tell you that much. And the fan base that has been built up around the story is so wonderful. Like, uh, you know, I get emails from people and saying like, oh, I just read the series like for the fourth time and really looking forward to the next book. When's it coming out? And I got to say like, oh, like hopefully soon. Eventually. <laughs> Eventually is, there, yeah. is there one, does, does one message pop out to you uh, that, that somebody uh, sent to you? Um, you know, a lot of the ones that kind of like stand out the most are from parents who got their kids into reading by introducing them to the book. Um, because like, it's a, it's kind of, in, in fact, some people use this as a criticism of the book. It's kind of very simply written, uh, cause you know, it, it's meant for, you know, the wide, widest possible audience. And so like, I purposely don't use like big words or anything like too complicated. It's a, a very kind of simple, uh, writing style and uh yeah just a creating lot. a universe that's that's pretty yeah, simple. yeah. <laughs> and, and I, I mean it does get a little bit more adult as the series goes on in, mm -hmm. in terms of like the sophistication of the writing um but the uh you know the messages where grandparents or parents got the book for their kid and the kid didn't like to read but uh you know the parent kind of encouraged them to check it out and the kid got really into it and now he's into reading you know, like that, the, the, those are kind of like uh, the, the, the good stories that you hear. And in fact, uh, uh, one of my co-hosts on my podcast, uh, he sits down and he reads the, uh, my books to his kids. And, uh, you know, his kids are, are really young and they're like, uh, I think like eight and six, something like that. And uh, he, he comes, comes to the podcast when we record and he tells me, uh, oh, like my kids had this reaction to this chapter and all this stuff. And so like, it, it's really fun to, uh, when kids discover my books and I get to hear about it from their parents. Nice, nice. And uh, what's, what's the podcast about? So uh, we do a podcast called The Salty Nerd Podcast. And uh, you'd probably like it because it's a, it's a movie and TV and pop culture review show, but um, it's, it's primarily a comedy show. So it's me and three, uh, my fiance and my two best friends here in Las Vegas, we get together and we do themed shows based around movies that we've watched. Uh, so for instance, we do a show like about terrible sequels, right? And we would watch three movies that are terrible sequels to really good movies. 
And then we get together and we talk about each movie and kind of make fun of it and stuff like that. We, we, we make the podcast feel like you're sitting in a bar with friends talking about movies as you get drunk, you know? Uh, so it's meant to be like fun. It's not political. It's, it's like, you know, kind of like it's funny and I'm the film geek. I'm the guy who went to film school and worked in Hollywood. So I'm sitting there dropping factoids about all these movies from my research and from my experience in Hollywood. And then you've got, you know, uh, one of my friends who's, uh, his, name, his name's Matt Vader and he's like in his fifties and he's like you know, kind of curmudgeonly and like, he'll just like rip into stuff and, and go on old man rant and stuff like that. And then you got my fiance who's like the female perspective and she's super funny and, and witty. And then we got the host of the show who has like very different opinions on what makes a good movie than the rest of us. And so like, mm. there's always, there's always argument and conflict and, and jokes and, and stuff like that, that we uh, toss around. And uh, yeah, we've been doing it for like three years and we've been growing throughout that time. We do like three episodes a week and, wow. uh, and people have started to take notice. We've had a lot of growth this year and uh, it's a lot of fun. Uh, in fact, it kept us sane during COVID because like we would all, kind of uh, gather at our studio and, and, uh, you know, uh, do our recording, uh, for the week. And, uh, if, if we didn't have that interaction during the lockdowns, it would have been like unbearable out yeah. here. So I, it, it I, kick, I kick myself for not starting this, uh, during that time. Cause I, I think the, the first episode came out in September. I think I started late in August and I had the idea um, I, I didn't have the idea of her very long before I, before I started. Cause I, I had an, a, a podcast that I did, uh, a few years ago and, um, the, uh, the co-host moved away. So it just kind of faded. Um, and then I, I'd been wanting to, to come back to podcasting and I wanted to, to, uh, do YouTube as well. And I just didn't have the idea, but definitely I could have, uh, you know, if I had sat down and thought about it, I definitely could have put so much, uh, uh, so much of that time where I was just sitting around uh, doing nothing and, and put it into this. And well, well you, you know, what's funny is, is that during that, that lockdown time period, so we had just had David Hewlett on our podcast. Uh, he played Dr. Rodney McKay in Stargate Atlantis. Mm -hmm. And uh, he was one of the uh, celebrities that we've gotten to interview on the show. And we were kind of telling him about like how we got started and, and about like what we did during the lockdown. And uh, he had this joke where he, he was like, uh, you know, uh, wh what do you call uh, two actors during the COVID lockdown? And uh, we were like, what? He's like a podcast because, all, <laughs> because all, all the out of work actors are like, what can I do? And, and what can I like keep going? And so like a lot of them just started podcasts and uh, we, we kind of laughed at that. He's like, he's right. You know, that, that, that is a pretty common podcast nowadays, two actors talking about stuff. Yeah, the same thing with with comics. There was a bunch of uh, you know two comic podcasts that popped up over, uh, and some of them were really good. And like one of my favorites was the uh, the Bill Burt podcast with Bill Burr and Burt Kreischer, mm -hmm. and they they were great. But I think that you know it was just a thing that like like you were saying, people were just were looking for things to do, and then like you know the world started kind of opening up, and everybody got back to to more of their normal things, and so yeah, that I, I haven't. In fact, my fans are kind of annoyed with me because like I've been, I've been spending so much time podcasting as opposed to writing books. Yeah. <laughs> they're, 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 like, they're like, come on, get the next book out. God damn it. So. Can't rush good art. You can't rush it. Yeah, but this year, like we got into YouTube this year. And so like we've got something like 500 videos up on YouTube and we've got like all, all these podcasts out. So there's a ton of content out there. We, we have a lot of fun doing it and people really like it. Like uh, uh, they, they say that it's, it's super funny. 
they enjoy uh, laughing along with us. In fact, um, there's this TV show on Apple TV. I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's called C, starring Jason Momoa. And it, it's about a dystopian future where everyone has lost the ability to see. To lost Oh, I've sight. heard of it. Yeah, I've heard yeah, of it. I got I to download that. I don't have Apple and, TV. And but. Like, like we started off our podcast by making fun of this show. Like the first season had just come out. We were going episode by episode. And we were like, the show's so stupid. And we would just make fun of it. And then when season two came out this year, uh, we started doing the same thing. Because like we do love the show, but we also love to, to kind of make fun of it. And about midway through the season, we found out that all these people who work on the show, from the actors to the, the behind the scenes people, uh, were watching our podcast on YouTube. Oh, really? We, we, because we were pretty much the only ones talking about their show. That's how they found us. And they loved uh, our episodes. They thought that we were hilarious. And so like, they started reaching out to us on like Instagram and Twitter and That's stuff awesome. like that. And uh, the the uh, head writer and, and showrunner, the head producer of the show, uh, called me up, and we we spent an hour on the phone. And he was like, "We really like your podcast. We'd like to work with you to do some some interviews and and stuff like that." And I, I was like, "Great!" And so we've gotten a lot of people from the production uh, of the uh, of the show, like from actors to you know behind the scenes people, producers, uh, you know things of that nature. Uh, to come on the podcast and let us interview them and it's been it's been crazy that you know our little podcast that we just started in a coffee shop you know years ago has graduated to the point where we're interviewing like high level actors and, and producers and stuff like that from like a huge streaming service it's it blows our minds sometimes yeah that's uh, that's awesome and that's always that's always, you know, you never know when uh, the, the, the shows that start organically and that are trying to, you know, accomplish something other than becoming a big, a big show are typically the ones that have, uh, you know, obviously other things have to be in place as well, but are typically the ones that have the legs that if they do get that level of exposure, they can, they can uh, uh, stay true to what they are because they have something that that is at the core of it besides you know clout and popularity and and, and stuff like that that's really cool man yeah it, it's it's been surreal uh, like none of us thought that you know the podcast would amount to much uh, but like we've been working really hard to make it like a legitimate thing and try to earn some money so like we can do it more often like my, my two co-hosts really want to do it full-time and so like they'd love to quit their jobs and and uh, just podcast all day Me too. Long. If anybody wants to <laughs> donate to the iDrive B support links in the description below. <laughs> no, yeah, I mean, that's the, that's the dream. It's just, you know, that's one of the greatest things about this, this space. Uh, you know, even, you know, even, you know, you were talking before about the accessibility of being able to write a novel. And while that's absolutely true and has been uh, for, for a long time, it doesn't have the same type of... Uh, I, I don't even know, whatever it is that allows people to connect and allows, you know, these little things, these people who, you know, somebody who's never done it before, somebody who doesn't have a past in, in, in writing anything, uh, uh, you know, those people, if you write a novel, you're not as likely to, to blow up, but any old person can just have an idea. And, you know, as long as you just keep putting content out, then more than likely, as long as you stick, to, I, I forget who it was, but somebody uh, recently, I heard I heard them say the good thing about YouTube is that it's just hard enough that if you're uh, if you're willing to put the work in, it'll work, and if you're not, then you'll fail. 
meaning that like it's not uh, if you put the like if you build it they will come and and i think uh youtube and and podcasting specifically has is is such a has such a low barrier to entry that allows people that have good ideas that might otherwise you know just not have the resources to get that out there uh, well, I got I got to tell you like so we we got into the YouTube game this year for our podcast and it took us like a, a about a year of like research before we were ready to kind of make that jump to video and before that we were just doing kind of like audiograms where we would take like a still image and the waveform and uh, set it to our podcast and then mm -hmm. put it up on YouTube and that didn't really get much traction and then we went to like a four camera show format and uh, so like oh, our 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 video podcasts are more like a talk show mm. it's kind of like if, if you've ever watched tim pool or joe rogan or someone like that that's that, my that, guy yeah that, that that's our format where you, you know like like we have like multi-camera format uh, for the studio so you actually get to see us recording the podcast and you get to see our faces and our reactions and all that good stuff and we we edit in clips of the movies we're talking about so if people haven't watched them they have context for them and uh, uh youtube is is brutal like our slog like we slog to get to the the monetization point where it's like a thousand subscribers and forty thousand still working hours. on it yep <laughs> um the watch hours weren't so bad for us because like we're long form podcast, like our, yeah. our, our podcast is about an hour and a half to two hours long um but uh, the thing that put us over the top funny enough was the writer and director of the new indiana jones movie uh, he basically came out publicly on Twitter and started attacking our podcast. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, James Mangold. I'm sure if you Google, uh, James Mangold and, and my name, Matthew Kadish, you'll, you'll find lots of stories about this, but I had written a tweet kind of criticizing, uh, what I saw from the Indiana Jones five set, which I was like, Harrison Ford is too old. Steven Spielberg's not directing this thing. Kathleen Kennedy's producing it. Uh, you know, blah, blah, blah. And he thought I was like a legitimate journalist for some reason. And so he came out hard against me. And then like my co-host <laughs> co would hop in and be like, hey man, like we love movies, check out our studio. And they'd post a picture of our studio and, and he'd just like, kind of be like, you know, like, what is that? A jar of corks in the background. And I see your key light in the background. You're a bunch of amateurs, like whatever. Like <laughs> he was just being like super mean to us. And it got all this news attention because like the guy, you know, he's this multi-billion dollar, like uh, A-list director. I did like Ford versus Ferrari and stuff like that. And he's, he's out here at punching down on this yeah. like, like, like little movie <laughs> podcast. And that got so much attention that like our subscription, like, like we'd been struggling to get to like 600, I think by that point. And then like, we just blew up to pass like a thousand subscribers just because nice. James, James Mangold decided to attack us. Uh, so, so that, that was kind of a, kind of a funny thing. The lesson um, but, of YouTube, piss off the right people. <laughs> I, I, I guess, but yeah, YouTube is, is super difficult. Uh, you know, podcasting is so much easier. Um, but, uh, you know, uh, my experience in podcasting has really kind of opened my eyes to its potential. Like I want to get to the point where I can start doing podcasts about my books where like I expand on the lore and expand on the world and ex expand on different characters, stuff I, I can't fit into the books or had to cut out. I'd like to be able to share with my audience through podcasting and, and stuff like that. So I think that there's, there's a lot of um, potential for authors out there who want to take podcasts and like really expand on, on their books and their world and interact with their fans. Cause it's much easier to pop in head, head buds and listen to a podcast as you're like commuting to work or something like that. than it is to actually sit down and put all your focus on, you know, a book. 
And I just feel like it's a great way to supplement, uh, you know, the, the stories that we tell. Definitely. Yeah. Preaching the choir on that one. And uh, yeah, I, I think the, um, the, the, the fact that, you know, you're, you're blown up is awesome and it sounds like a really cool idea. And so if uh, you know, it sounds like all around you've, you've, you've kind of got this stuff figured out. So I'm definitely uh, uh, I, I definitely see, you know, all of this going exactly uh, the, the, the way that you're planning it. Um, you know, the, the fact that the audience for the book is so wide, and the the possibilities for where it can go are also so wide just leaves it puts you in a position uh maybe not uniquely but puts you in a uh a position that other authors maybe don't have where you have so much to go uh, to, to to go to and then having uh you know a fan base that you can interact with and i, I think and, and I'm, you know, I don't know how much you actually uh, do this, but having their input uh, affect what you uh, put out there, I think is just a, a perfect combination for, for, you know, the, the, the meaning of creator and audience and, and, you know, merging what everybody wants. Yeah, you, you know, the, the biggest thing that I've found as, you know, working in Hollywood and, and trying to be a a brand unto myself, you know, like mm. when you look at a Stephen King book, there's a reason why his name is bigger than the actual title yeah. of the book. Um, and that's because as a, as a creative personality, whether you're a director of movies or a star in movies or a novelist or like whatever, you build a brand around your, yourself and your talent. And, you know, the same is true of podcasters. And so the people who gravitate towards you are the people who like you, you know, like they enjoy your work, they enjoy your personality, they, they want access to you and they want more uh, of the material that you provide. And so podcasting and YouTube and all this stuff really uh, gives people an opportunity to reach out to their fan base and interact with them and, and you know, give them more content. Like, you know, when we were interviewing David Hewlett, he does, he, he live streams on Twitch, you know, like he plays video games on Twitch and he interacts with his chat. He's got like a YouTube channel. Um, like he's, he's one of the, the coolest guys I think like I've, I've ever gotten the pleasure to talk to. And he's like super accessible to his fans. And, uh, and, you know, as we've grown the podcast, we have our hardcore podcast fans and we have a discord server where like they it's free to join. So like people just sign up for the discord and they're all so amazed at like how much we interact with our fans because they're like, Oh, I, I belong to this person, this YouTube personalities discord. They never and, say anything. And, and like, they, like they're never there and like, they never respond to my tweets and they never, you know, like my stuff on Instagram or whatever. And like the four of us on our podcast, like we're, we're answering people's questions. We're joking around with them. We're interacting on social media. We're, we're doing all this stuff. We answer every single YouTube comment, you know, that type of thing. And people are just like blown away by that. And in fact, like when I, when I get emails from fans of my book, um, you know, I always respond to them and I'll get responses back saying like, I can't believe you actually responded. Like you're like a super famous author. Why are you, why are you, <laughs> why are you taking the time to respond to me? And I'm like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just a guy and I appreciate, guy, yeah. you know, I appreciate people who like my work, you know, and, and the same, that the same is true for podcasting. Yeah. That stuff makes such a big difference. And like, even thinking like personally, like I was, uh, I was really into, uh, I've been into music my whole life and, and, but like I would go to uh, concerts and, and festivals and stuff 
and I'd have friends who'd want to go and like meet the band and get this signed and that signed. And I was just like, for what? What, what do you, why do you need that? And, um, but even, even with that, like when, uh, like if I, uh, let's say respond to somebody's tweet or something and they, they acknowledge it, it's just like, oh, cool. I'm being acknowledged. And even though, you know, like, especially now being a YouTuber myself, like, you know, it's, it, it, this is just my, it's just my fucking living room with some lights on it. Yeah. And I'm just some I, I dude. Mean, the, the weirdest thing for me is when people ask me to autograph a copy of my book for them. So it's like they, they buy the book and they'll meet me at a convention or something like that. And like, would you mind signing this book for me? And I'm like, uh, yeah, sure. But like, it always blows my mind because I'm just like, you know, what's my signature worth? But, <laughs> but, you know, to a fan, like that, that's something that's important. And uh, I, I can remember, I, you know, you can't see it here, but I have a picture of Bruce Campbell, the actor from the Evil Dead movies okay. uh, on my wall. Because when I was 15 years old, I met him on an AOL chat room about the Evil Dead because uh, he'd go there and he'd lurk and I would, I would go there and I would be asking all these crazy uh, technical questions about how like, you know, they got this shot and how they got that shot. And uh, you know, this was way before like internet predators were like a thing or something like that. <laughs> but, 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 you know, when, when he reached out to me initially and he was like, yeah, I'm, I'm Bruce Campbell. I was like, get out of here. You're not <laughs> Bruce Campbell. You're, you're, you know, we didn't have that term back then, but like he, I thought he was catfishing me. Yeah. Um, but it turned out he really was Bruce Campbell. He called me up on the phone, spoke to me for like an hour and a half of his own time. Then he sent me an autographed picture, which I have up on my wall uh, right here. And it, 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 it's one of those things where it, it's like, I was such a fan of his. And the fact that he took the time to not only talk to me on the phone, but send me an autographed picture as a memento of that moment in my life where we got to interact for the first time as a fan that's something that's so special and, and to think that like there's someone out there who loves my book so much that they want my autograph on it so like that can be a keepsake for their experience with my work it, it kind of blows my mind really oh i mean it's just a, a testament to uh to, to to your work and if it's uh if it's anything like your uh conversational skills uh definitely uh, uh well you know, know us podcasters we have the gift of gab right oh yeah yeah, I was just talking about uh, some, some this uh, live panel that um, I, I was setting up for for this other thing, and um, people were talking about you know structuring it this that that. And I was like, I mean, why don't we just like have it, and then if we need to fill space, like I could just talk, and they're like, yeah, okay, cool, that works, that helps a lot. It's like, yeah, we could just I could just talk and talk and talk, and talk and talk. And talk, <laughs> and talk yeah. I mean, we we just uh, did a recording earlier today uh, because we're we're trying to bank stuff for our Christmas vacation, so like we can have stuff come out while we don't have to like record right. new episodes of the podcast. And it, it is kind of crazy, like how much we talk. Uh, you know, every every episode where it's the four of us bantering and kind of having a good time and and getting it out there and having like a, a good salient conversation, but. Uh, you know, you'd probably like our podcast because like our whole motto is we watch stuff so you don't have to. And so like we'll watch some really terrible movies uh, that you can enjoy our reaction to. Because I definitely got to check this out. Yeah, you get the gist of it, but you don't have to watch them if you don't want to. But then there are movies that like you've probably seen and you want to talk about. And it feels like you're talking about them with us, like when we're when we're doing our show. Um, so like, uh, you know, the, the Salty Nerd podcast, like it's all about kind of like having fun with these things with just like a pinch of salt where like some of us get kind of like um, upset about like injecting politics or like bad ad adaptations or something like that into our entertainment. 
and we just want to have fun. We just want to enjoy stuff. And, and that's what the podcast is, is all about. But we do watch some really bad stuff uh, on, on uh, for the pod. And uh, a lot of people say, thank you for watching this. So like, we don't oh, have to. I didn't to. have to. Yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely, like my last, uh, the last podcast I had was, um, it was just as straight up. I mean, I, I tried it to, I, I tried to think at the time that it was different, but it was just a straight up uh, JRE wannabe. Uh, and I didn't realize that if you're not already famous, then asking people to listen to you and a friend just talk about stuff for three hours is kind of a big ask. And we were putting out bi-weekly episodes and they were all like two and a half, three hours. And it's just like, ah. And I mean, we'd have guests. Like I, I did, uh, uh, you know, an episode with like my philosophy professor and we got into some deep stuff. And But for a, a lot of the episodes, it was just like friends who were maybe like had something going on, but not you know, anybody too substantial. And I mean, again, I think they were good conversations, but it was just a cacophony of, of, you know. I mean, I don't personally like interview shows, like, especially like as as podcasts, because like, if I'm not interested in in the person being interviewed, uh, it's just kind of like, why do do I want to listen to this? For me, it's more about, you know, the subject. Mm -hmm. And uh, with our stuff, like, we don't really have people that we, we, like, we do interviews but they're like they're special episodes right uh our regular podcast it's just four friends getting together and bantering with one another and so like that gives us a great opportunity to get our audience used to our different personalities like we we have inside jokes that the audience our audience loves to because i i like to say like i used to work in hollywood right back in hollywood i would do this back in hollywood i'd do that and so uh, every time I go on our Discord or social media, we always have someone who's like, hey, Kadish used to work in Hollywood. Yeah, like, like Mr. Bigway. It's become a meme uh, among our fans. And so like, it, it's just kind of funny to, to see how that evolves. But the like, I've done interview stuff before where like I, I try to get people, I do a live stream every Thursday called Bad Writing, where we uh, kind of focus on a movie or TV show that's just so badly written. And we have a you know, authors who are very talented storytellers come on with me and we have like a panel discussion about why it's bad and what they could have done instead or, or what we could do to fix it. And booking those people is always such a pain in the butt. And I'm so glad that like our main podcast is just like, you know, we, we just get together every once a week and record a bunch of stuff. And then like we get together next week and record a bunch of stuff. We don't have to keep booking people in order to do that. So like uh, that, that can be a real pain in the butt. I'm actually surprised because I had I had done, I think, uh, six or seven episodes uh, before I released any just because I didn't know how uh, hard or easy it would be to get authors uh, to to interview. Turns out authors authors love to, love to yeah. talk about their books. Yeah, they're like, please uh, buy so my you, book. Please read yeah, my I've book. Got, I've got plenty uh, uh, backlogged. Um, but yeah, I wasn't sure. And, um, and I was pleasantly surprised when, when, you know, people took to not only the, the, the opportunity to talk about their book, but the, the idea of the podcast itself. And, uh, yeah, Yeah, it was funny because my podcast, uh, we went to the big Star Trek convention here in Las Vegas, uh, every year they have like this huge, the biggest Star Trek convention in the world here. And I had gone there years ago to promote my book. And so like, you know, Star Trek fans, they're, wonderful science fiction fans they're loyal they're they're just they're the salt of the earth people they're they're great people and so i wanted to reach that audience with my stuff and this last year we had a booth for the podcast there because we wanted to introduce those same people to our podcast 
And while we were there, I'd had people coming up to me and being like, oh man, Earthman Jack, like, can you sign my book? Uh, when's the next book coming out? Blah, blah, blah. And my co-hosts are sitting there like, what's the deal with Kadish? Why do all these people <laughs> like him? Like, like, and I'm like, I got my fans, you know, outside the podcast. So uh, that, that was one day, one day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's super cool, man. Uh, well, I don't want to take up too much of your time. We've been going for about an hour here and uh, I'm honored that uh Big wig Hollywood Kadish uh, has graced the platform. Um, yes, back in Hollywood, I was a big wig. <laughs> yeah, I think uh, you know the 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 fact that I, I mean, I'm coming back to the idea of the the universality, uh, no pun intended, of the the um, you know the book itself and the story and the the um, just the nature of what it sounds like you're writing about is can be grafted in the reader's mind onto whatever, uh, uh, you know, wh whatever their imagine imagination uh, can, can come up with. And, uh, you know, the, these, these stories that are so fantastical leave so much room for the, that interpretation to, again, be mapped onto your life. Yeah. And, you, know, you know, what's, what's funny is because of my screenwriting background, my filmmaking background, uh, everyone, who reads my books tells me that I have a very cinematic writing style. And it's like, as they're reading, they can see the movie in their head playing out. And everyone's always saying like, uh, when's Earthman Jack going to be turned into a movie? And I'm like, well, whenever anybody wants to pay me enough to, <laughs> to, to do it. Um, but yeah, like the, the cinematic writing style of like people owning the story, but like envisioning it in the way they want to see it is always something that I think makes novels magic. So I definitely agree. I definitely agree. Um, and so uh, I'm, if uh, there's anything you want to plug, the book itself, the podcast, anything else, the floor is yours. All right. Well, uh, if you like movies and hate to read like my friend Adam here, uh, you can uh, check out our podcast on YouTube by going to saltynerdvideo.com. That'll take you right to our YouTube channel. And if you like to listen to it and have our voice in your directly in your brains, uh, you can go to saltynerdpodcast.com. And depending on the device you're on, that'll take you either to Apple iTunes. So if you're on an Apple device, it'll take you to Apple Podcast. And uh, if you're on an Android device, it'll take you to Spotify. Um, so you can and, uh, either do the audio version of our podcast or the video version. It's entirely up to you, but I'd highly recommend you check it out because we have a lot of fun producing these videos. We do three shows a week, Monday, Wednesday, Friday. We also do live streams on Monday, Thursday, and Saturday mornings. Um, so like, uh, if you like our stuff, there's plenty of us out there and uh, we talk about movies and TV shows and all types of fun stuff. So if you're big into pop culture and, and things like that, check out the Salty Nerd podcast. We also have a website, saltynerd.com, where I'm writing blog posts and all types of stuff. And you can find all of our uh, previous content there and listen to it and watch it directly. It's, it's a great website. And if you want to check out my books, uh, you can find my Amazon page at kadishbooks.com. That's K-A-D-I-S-H books.com. That'll take you right to my Amazon author page where I have my Earthman Jack books there. Um, I also have two other novels that I just recently published. One, one is set in the Earthman Jack universe. It's a sci science fiction mystery novel. I, I kind of say it's like Firefly meets Lethal Weapon. It's called Lawman, Rook and Behringer, Childhood's End. Um, it's kind of about the, these uh, two conflicting space cops, essentially, that you know go out and solve mysteries. And then I have an actual mystery that I write under the pen name Maxwell Cambridge uh, that's set in Las Vegas because I live in Las Vegas. I love the city. 
And so I wanted to set a novel here. And it's about a concierge detective who's a private investigator that works for the casinos. And they kind of lease him out to their high roller clients to get them out of trouble and stuff like that. And uh, it's, it's a very fun kind of like different take on the private investigator, private eye novel. So if you like mysteries, check out those two books. But uh, if you go to kadishbooks.com, that takes you right to my Amazon page and uh, matthewkadish.com, K-A-D-I-S-H again, uh, will take you to my main website where you can sign up for my newsletter and all that good stuff. So a uh, lot, lot of links that I just dropped on you guys. I hope you check at least one of them out. Um, but the podcast, we have a lot of fun doing it. So please uh, come listen to our podcast and check out our YouTube channel and all that good stuff. And uh, if you have time, read my books, please. Awesome. Yeah. And we'll have all that stuff linked below. So you don't got to uh, worry about remembering all of it. It will all be <laughs> down below. Uh, please do go and uh, check out the podcast, the website. Uh, if you're interested, the uh, purchase link for the book will also be below. Uh, Matthew, thank you so much again for uh, coming onto the platform. Uh, this was a great conversation and I absolutely am going to check out your podcast. Um, but not my you, book. Probably not. No. <laughs> nope, probably not. Uh, but in a lot, uh, uh, well, you, definitely... you know, Adam, what you might be interested to find is those other two books, Lawmen and Sinful, uh, mm -hmm. my two mystery novels, are in audiobook format on Audible. Mm -hmm. So if you don't like to read, you might want to listen to them. And I'm working on getting Earthman Jack transferred into audiobook format as well. And I do them like like I'm making a movie, so they're more like audio plays. So they have oh, like nice. sound effects and and they have cool. musical score and like uh, the narrator is really good. He does different voices for the different characters, so it's almost like you're listening to a movie play out. So like definitely check it out. That that uh, that sounds like something I'm I might be able to uh, might be able to, to do. The stomach, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but again, thank you so much. And um, you have a great day. Uh, I am going to go check out that podcast right now. Awesome. Thanks for having me on. All right. Take care. You have a good one. How many of you expected that? I'm going to guess none. Because I did not. I, um, I, you know, based on, I had this idea that I realized after uh, the conversation began that I had this idea of a young adult author maybe having a different, having a certain, not different, but a certain type of personality. And, um, you know, maybe a, a specific desire to, to reach uh, kids for, for this reason or that. Um, and um, I, I don't know exactly what I was expecting, but, I, I, I expected somebody a little bit quirky and, um, you know, Matthew might say, say that he, he might uh, describe himself as, as a bit quirky, but, uh, you know, I, I think he's just a, a funny guy. Uh, well, uh, much more well accomplished than, than I had any idea. Um, and, um, you know, it's, it, that's the, again, you know, whenever uh, I talk about this stuff, this is not, has nothing to do with anybody else that has been interviewed on uh, this channel. I'm always referring to people, um, you know, uh, as themselves, but the, you know, when, uh, you know, he has a successful podcast, he's from, uh, uh, you know, has a background in Hollywood. He is, uh, you know, has done conventions and stuff and you can tell and if you couldn't go back and watch again, you can tell how much easier of a time I have hosting. Um, and I can just kind of, because again, this, as much as I do love to talk, 
this platform, specifically this podcast, is not here for me. It's here for the author. And so sometimes, you know, authors aren't, uh, being an author isn't the same as uh, being uh, somebody who can speak well and, and, and uh, you know, is comfortable on camera. Um, and uh, so sometimes it's a little bit harder and it's a little, it, it requires a little bit more digging on my end. And it's, uh, it's refreshing when you get to talk to somebody who is familiar and who's comfortable. Uh, it's not like he and I have ever talked before, but we, we were able to jump right into a conversation. And we, I think we were able to, again, you know, this was another case where we didn't necessarily talk too much about, uh, you know, what Jack does in the story. Uh, we don't, we didn't really talk about, you know, what kind of adventures he goes on, uh, what the different worlds are like. Um, but again, it doesn't seem like that is too much of, uh, almost it, not as relevant as what we were talking about, because again, the idea is who is Matthew Kadish. And I think we got a, a, a good clear picture of who this guy is. And, um, you know, I wasn't lying when I, I said, as soon as I'm, I'm uh, done with this episode that's coming out on, uh, on Wednesday, it's, it's Monday right now. Uh, uh, the, uh, I, I haven't put together the Wednesday's episode yet, so I'm going to go do that. And while I'm doing that, I'm going to go listen to his podcast because it, it sounds like uh, something that uh, uh, is uh, right up my alley. And I promised, to I promised to stop telling people that I was going to uh, be reading their books. And as interesting as uh, Earthman, uh, Earthman Jack does sound, um, I'm not going to read that book. So I stayed true to myself and told them the truth. But um, the, the audiobook does sound like a, a cool thing, uh, you know, having uh, the more cinematic elements, the sound effects and, and things like that, um, especially, I, I mean... The only audiobooks that I've uh, listened to have been nonfiction, so I don't know how common it is for uh, fiction books to have um, the, the different characters read by different people. I would assume that, that that's pretty common, but I just don't, I mean, I don't, I'm not in that world, so I don't know. Um, but that sounds, that does sound like something that, uh, you know, that, that I could, uh, I, I would definitely be interested in. Um, so I, I think that, you know, Coming into this, uh, I was I was a little light on the subject matter, but I think specifically what um, what stood out to me was when he was saying that uh, you know I asked him if there was one message that that stood out to him, and um, of course put him on the spot a little bit, but hey, gotta have a little bit of fun, right? And uh, you know I was expecting a, a message from some some kid who was maybe having a hard time and they, they, they read it and, and they reached out and they were like, oh, this was really helpful to me. And the fact that it wasn't one message that he talked about, but he talked about a, a phenomenon of parents and grandparents getting their kids into reading and, and sparking a passion for reading with this content. I think that is something that really speaks volumes. And, um, uh, you know, uh, what I, what I didn't get to, I, I meant to say that I didn't get to was um, when we were talking about Game of Thrones, is that people have told me that, uh, you know, the Game of Thrones books might just be those things that would get me back into uh, enjoying reading fiction stuff. Um, and I, I do miss having that, uh, that type of, that hobby, because it is very unique in the sense of, it's almost a form of meditation 
because you have to have your, your focus on what you're reading. Everything that I do is, uh, you know, only like I'm always on my phone while something's playing on the TV and I'm doing something on the computer. Like I, there's just a million things going on. And uh, even when uh, I'm driving, I'm listening to podcasts at two and a half times speed. And, and, and I, I just like, you know, I, I like getting, I, I get to the point, get the information, get, get what I got to get, move on. I want to listen to this. I want to listen to that. But slowing down and having, having time to, to let the, whether it's, you know, you're something you're reading, let it breathe. Um, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's something that seems like I definitely someone that like me is missing, but even if you're not somebody who's constantly all over the place with different things, that just that love of reading is something unique. And um, aside from actual meditation uh, or like actually doing yoga or something specifically uh, in that realm, I think reading is something that is so accessible. And if you find something that is, is gripping, then once you're in it, it's very easy. Whereas if you have any experience with meditation, it is a practice. It's not something you can just, you know, turn on and off. And um, so that, that uh, the, the, the fact that, you know, in this day and age, when kids don't even have to start reading, you know, when I was, when I was 10 years old, there was no uh, uh, internet the way that it is now. So I didn't have any other options. There was video games, but it, it you know, not, quite the same thing. And so reading really did that. And so I don't know how common it is for kids these days to even start with that uh, love of reading. And uh, so the more that's out there that can get kids into that type of thing and, and using their imagination and being creative, uh, that's, that's always a good thing. I think the, the lack of creativity and the lack of individualism is something that, uh, you know, is, is a big problem just in, you know, a, as part of the fabric of society, individualism, especially as Americans, that's something that is, is what is so unique about this country is the, the focus on the individual and the, 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 the uniqueness of each person. And it, it's almost like we're falling into an age of collectivism where everything is about the group. And there's, you know, that's not always a bad thing. Uh, but in general, it is, seems to be out of balance. Let's just put it that way. We've had some, uh, some political episodes where I've, uh, I've been a little bit more direct, but since we didn't really uh, uh, go down that road in this one, I'll, I'll, I'll uh, uh, tread lightly and just say that it, you know, we, we need more of that. We need a bigger emphasis on individuality and, and personal creativity. And um, you know, if Earthman Jack is doing that, then I am all for it. Um, yeah, that, that was a, I mean, fascinating conversation. He had so much to, he had so much to say, and I, I wish we could, uh, I wish we could, could have kept going. Um, I know we've done long, uh, conversations, uh, but, um, I didn't want to, I'm trying not to take up people's, to, uh, take up too much of people's time, um, be respectful of that. Uh, cause I could go forever as we were, as we were, as we were saying, um, but, uh, yeah, super cool. And, um, I, I, I like I said, I've, I've stopped telling people that I'm going to check out their book. You should, <laughs> I'm not going to, but I am off to, uh, watch this podcast, see what's good with that. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the, I didn't read your book podcast. I am your host, Lutch. 
Please like, comment, subscribe. Let me know what you thought of uh, Matthew. Let me know what you thought of his whole uh, idea, uh, his podcast. Have, are you familiar with it? Have you read this before? Um, have you heard of this before? Uh, if you haven't, are you going to? Um, and uh, if, uh, you know, the, the, I, I really would love uh, some feedback on just how I'm doing in general. Uh, you know, what do you think of this show? How can I make it better? And um, that, that, that's it. I just want to, I want to put out the best product I can. And uh, sometimes that also includes, if you could, hitting those subscribe, uh, those uh, support links, whether it's uh, PayPal, Venmo, Cash App, Bitcoin, any little bit would really help. Uh, you know, I, I'm looking to get myself out there, get in contact with some uh, bigger names and uh, really get this thing going. And um, I could, I can only do it with your help. Um, but you don't have to do any of that. You could just sit at home and think about how awesome I am and how great this conversation was. Uh, and then I will see you next week. Thank you for tuning in for another episode of the I Didn't Read Your Book podcast. I'm your host, Lutch. Follow me on socials at I Dry B Lutch. Peace. Peace.